Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Just to make it official, welcome to the April Wine and Dine. For those of you that are wondering what I'm drinking, today is a Lakewood Lemberger Rosé in honor of Jennifer and her favorite wine, which is a rosé as well. <laughs> so you'll you see me sipping a little bit. It's 4.30 on April 21st. And Jennifer, we just want to say thank you so much for um, coming to work with us today on today's Wine and Dime event. We love that you've decided to come and be a special guest with us. And Jennifer is with, uh, is it I'm, I am PAX? Is that how you guys pronounce it? Impacts, Impact Asset Management, which in the US, you know us as PAX World Funds. And that's PAX World Funds, correct. Yeah, a little bit confusing. So Impacts is the way that you say asset management. And Jennifer was actually a guest on my podcast well over a year ago, maybe even longer now. And that's how I knew her favorite was Rosé. She and I talked at that time about the importance of gender equality. And since then, we've been researching and doing our due diligence on the PAX Elevate Global World's Leadership Fund. So I asked Jennifer to, to attend today and to present because we talk a lot to clients about matching spending with their goals. We spend whole hours talking to them about that and how they use their dollars and the importance of it. And there's their, their tight connection with money. And in reality, investing is absolutely no different. We've had so many clients ask us lately about investing in ESG-related funds and specifically those that support women and gender equality. So for me personally, um, before Jennifer gets started, I just want to say like this is something that you know I feel very connected with. Um, connecting to how we invest our money with our values also drives companies to make decisions about the impact of our economy and our ecology. And again, we hear that all the time from a lot of our clients. And, and certainly we're passionate about investing in a manner that supports our environment and takes it a step further and talks about gender inequality. Um, one thing that happened to me recently, and I'll just share this with you for those of you that don't know where I'm located down here in Florida, it's on the Gulf Coast. And there's this um, stack, they call it, pine, piney uh, stack, which holds a bunch of let's just say, not so friendly chemicals, right? And uh, Brent and I were right on the edge of the evacuation zone. We were about an, uh, about four miles away from where the evacuation zone was. So if I hadn't been already aware of what was going on 
thinking about from a global investing perspective, that certainly was right in my face. And they they had to actually drain that retention pond significantly into the Gulf of Mexico in order to not have a further catastrophe happen. And of course, now for years, they're going to be testing what's going on in that particular bay, Tampa Bay area, because who knows what that's going to do to the manatee and all of the other wonderful um, environment that's created there, fishing environment, habitat that's created there. Um, we are concerned with the amount of phosphorus that was was uh, released into that and what that could do for the growth that the manatee live off from. And they're experiencing that problem on the other side of Florida in the Indian River, where they had hundreds of manatee starve this year because of red tide and the turnover and nothing for them to actually eat. So for me, it's a very personal endeavor, uh, both to find a fund that I feel comfortable uh, working with for our clients, for me, as well as the idea of an all-in company uh, matching up to a fund that supports that in that, that same way. So for all these reasons, we're talking about adding this quote-unquote type of investing to our portfolio. But in reality, we just feel that it, it's something that we're we're putting out there to our clients to match their dollars with the way that they would want to invest in companies. And we're really looking at this as, um, as a retirement portfolio option for many of our clients. So thank you so much for making yourself available as I get to share my little story, Jen. I, Jennifer, I really appreciate you, you uh, taking time out of your big schedule um, I know you're super busy right now too, and uh, and and talking about this t- topic that we're so passionate about. I'm so- also passionate about it, Amy. It's one of my <laughs> favorite topics. And as you said, so impacts asset management. We manage about forty billion. Um, and one of the strategies which you just mentioned, which I've worked closely with, is the Pax Elevate Global Women's Leadership One, and it does focus on investing in the top companies globally um, for empowering and having women in leadership positions. But environment is also important. I was lucky enough to be two years ago be down in Captiva and Sanibel, and the ecosystem um, is just gorgeous. And when I thought about everything that was going on, it, it was heartbreaking. So right now I'm sitting in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. So I'm definitely in New Hampshire girl. I'm most comfortable out in the uh, trails in the middle of the woods. So both of these topics are really important to me. So I love talking about them and I love Rosé. So thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah. Get up to upstate New York, a little winery called Lakewood. They have a great Rosé that's actually made out of the Lemberger grape, really unusual uh, type of grape to be made to make rosé out of real super spicy peppery. You don't want to get me going down that trail. I talk about wine all day as these two know very well. Um, So, you know, I guess, um, you know, talking a little bit about it too, I'd love to know, like, what are the reasons, uh, I know you mentioned you live in New Hampshire, but what are the reasons that you're passionate about, about getting into this business in general? Well, I've been in the business financial services for over 20 years, um, and the space has evolved. I mean, as you know, you're very much a pioneer in terms of incorporating these type of strategies, but the growth has been significant. You've seen asset flows into funds that have an ESG uh, mandate, which we'll talk about in just a minute, uh, quadruple between 2018 to 2019, and we surpassed that number in six months in 2020. But what I was seeing, and in my 
work um, was more and more individuals and advisors were saying, this is something I care about, especially as you look at the changing of, you know, the transfer of wealth from one generation to the next. I mean, this is definitely on the top of mind of millennials. And when you look at Gen Z, which is the next generation, I have three of them in my house. I mean, there's no question that this is the way they're going to invest. I I was definitely blamed for, um, you know, the car not having gas, for the pandemic and for climate change. So it is something that is important to them. And with this in mind, it really lined up with my personal values. When I looked at the organizations that I support, um, you know, through volunteering prior to the pandemic and sitting on boards and giving, it it just was something that I see um, as extremely important to really create change around these issues that are just getting more pronounced, as you were saying. It also um, became very clear to me I have two sons and my youngest is a daughter. And so to suddenly have an 11 year old daughter and look at the statistics about the amount of inequality that is still present in the world, um, it just, I, I couldn't even fathom it. And that's when I really started to, after she was born, take a closer look and realize what, what can I do? It's gonna take a hundred plus years to reach parity in the workplace, that's not okay. Um, so I think those all bring me to the place of, of why I'm so passionate. It's interesting that you say 100 plus years because we just celebrated 100 years since women were actually able to vote, which seems like this enormous number. But in reality, it's like it's only been 100 years. You know, I mean, it's, you know, what has happened and transpired in that 100 years, there's still inequality and it's been 100 years. So, yeah, pretty amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I'd love to dig in just a, a few additional questions for those that. Um, may not know what that means. We throw around the, the term ESG. And my husband, when I was preparing for this meeting, he said, what does that actually mean? Like he got the gist of it, but what is ESG investing? Can you provide some clarity around the terms of the of ESG? And I could share my uh, screen if you just give me a permission, because I have a few slides, if that's okay. That would be great. There you go. It's all yours. Um, okay. Can you see this? It's loading right now. There we go. Yep. Okay. So um, there's a lot of terms out there. So it just makes it confusing for the individual investor to to get their hands around. You know, the terms I've heard are, um, you know, ESG investing, SRI investing, impact investing, faith-based investing, value-based investing, and all of, there's multiple other terms, but those are the ones you hear the most. And so what the most widely used term now is sustainable investing, and that's definitely what we use. And that's the integration of um, ESG factors into investment analysis. And so that means we're looking at a company from a traditional standpoint. Um, we're trying to understand the company through the lens of you know the balance sheet, um, where they're you know, quantitative, qualitative, but then we're taking it one step further and we're saying, where are risks and opportunities um, associated with, you know, not only this industry um, or region, but this company? And so we can see these as we look at a company from an environmental standpoint. Um, So are they taking a closer look at their policies around climate change? Have they evaluated what their supply chain looks like? Is it all on a coastline? Um, Social factors, are they, how are they treating their employees? Um, Human capital management has been really important as we've, you know, weathered through this pandemic. 
Um, and that's also issues around diversity and inclusion. And we can go into more detail. And governance is around transparency. What does their leadership team look like? Um, you know, is management focused on you know the interest of the shareholders and stakeholders? Um, what does compensation of executive management look like? Again, it's all about um, ethical practices. We've seen companies that haven't been transparent, haven't been ethical, and it can have a significant impact on the company long term. So we feel like using this lens, we're going to see some some challenges where companies haven't taken the time to address it, um, as well as companies are leading the way. And we feel that there are opportunities because perhaps they're looking to provide solutions to some of the challenges around environmental issues, for example, water and waste treatment. Hmm. Right in your backyard, unfortunately. Yeah, that's a that's a big I mean, that that hits home even you know close to me. Like I said earlier, it, it was they're talking about how do they prevent in this tiny um, point, how to prevent this going forward. And they're talking about water, like how do they um, filter the water that they're going to need to pull out of these um, res reservoir ponds, right? How do they filter that? Well, the technology is there, but what are the companies doing to put it in place? And is the dollar of some of these companies overbearing to what actually our environment needs to be. Oh, definitely. You, the technology is key. And I think I have a slide. So when you look at that, you can see it's the technology. I don't know if it outlines it here to be able to manage that, um, you know, cleaning the water, obviously dealing with waste. Um, and then it's even things like you think about, you know, Florida has a significant amount of um, farming, right? You, you have the oranges and uh, other produce. And so the challenges that come along with that, with the use of fertilizer, um, you know, overusing water and not being able to track where you truly need water, um, all of those are disruptors and are going to be a challenge going forward without a doubt. Um, water scarcity is a major issue um, globally um, and here in the U.S. Did I read, Jennifer, that we're like 33 or 34 with regards to where we are with clean water. So, and our numbers are continuously growing worse. Like our water supply is actually getting worse. I've read something, I don't know if that's the exact number, um, but you know, you start to dig into that data and it, it is terrifying. Um, we had issues here about contaminated water and a cancer cluster, which said, you know, you, can I drink the water? I don't know. And then you don't know about testing. But I think clean drinking water is is scary. You know, you look at countries that have to have it brought in by a truck. And once a month, you wait for your truck to come in with your water. And that's just scary. But, you know, we have old infrastructure. So we've got old pipes, um, you know, that lead to, you know, pipe bursts. Um, and the breakdown and the delivery of water. I mean, there's a lot of issues around this. And so it's extremely important to be addressing this now um, and going forward so we can prevent any more challenges um, and getting lower or higher on the list in terms of lack of clean water. And so when we talk about that impact that we can make on that particular, you know, those decisions that we're making or what some people call impact investing, um, that's where we can kind of put our monies where our passions are, right? Right, right. Yeah. And why is this type of investing so important? 
So to kind of transition, so we talked a little bit about um, ESG, which is deciding which companies you want to invest in. In many ways, as an investor, that's saying, I care about market returns, but I also want to do more. And so I want to direct my capital at the companies that are doing the right things or evolving and growing and committed to doing the right things. But there's another way you can make impact. Um, and for us in the public market, market, we're obviously stockholders of multiple companies. And your clients are too, but you have the ability to, to vote on key issues. And so for us, climate is a huge issue. And I'm not going to, I'm trying not to make anyone dizzy here, but I have an example of a, a slide here. So we engage with all of the companies we invest with on key climate issues. So we do that through proxy voting, shareholder proposals, and just ongoing conversations, you know, educating companies about, you know, the potential risks with climate change. I mean, last year, if it wasn't bad enough, the, the weather patterns that we saw, whether you're talking about the wildfires in the West, the flooding, um, you know, it was snowing in St. Louis, I think yesterday, something crazy like that. Just those those cost, you know, over a billion dollars each and every time for, for some of those events. And that adds up. And that's the immediate cost, not even the long-term impact to those communities and individuals um, that you see. So it's talking to companies about how they're addressing climate change. What are their plans? What are they going to do to help mitigate uh, climate risk? And those are very important conversations through that dialogue. And it's not just us by ourselves. Usually there's other institutional investors. You can actually get companies to make changes, to disclose what their plans are, to make a transition to more sustainable strategies, um, renewable resources, um, move away from traditional fossil fuels. But knowing, uh, having transparency around that and knowing that a company is committed to doing it and watching it, we stay in contact, is very important for our investors. Because if this is an issue they care about, they want to know that the companies that they're investing in are doing the right things um, and making change. So through this engagement, the shareholder engagement, we are making an impact. Well, I, you know, they've had the commercials on TV that Amazon is an example is trying to go to all electronic or electric vehicles, right? Their goal is by 2025, I think, to have all of their vehicles to all their delivery vehicles be electric driven vehicles. So that's an example of, you know, a company trying to be more environmentally friendly, but that's not the only thing that that's looked at when we think about it from a, I mean, there's so much more that's, that's one thing, but there's so many other angles that we can actually be looking at when we're thinking about that, that impact investing. You're right. I think one of the other key issues that we focus on, and this is in line with you know the strategy we were talking about earlier, is um, engaging with companies on gender inequality. Um, just like environmental and climate change, we see gender inequality and really inequality in general to be a major human rights issues. So as shareholders, we engage with companies on this in multiple different ways. So advocacy work, um, you know, signing on to key letters or around proposed legislation around transparency, and then asking companies to do a few different things. Um, and I'll just highlight a few here. So there is a, a financial impact when you have board diversity. So you do see these companies perform better typically. And that's because there's, you know, better decision making, um, more innovation. There's study after study that shows this. 
but it's just also important to do. So we ask boards to have um, a diversity policy. We like to see at least three diverse candidates on a board. And so if we see, um, you know, a vote come down for another male um, to, to be added to an all-male board, we're, we're obviously going to vote against that and start a dialogue with the company. And we've had success with companies actually, you know, listening to what we said, um, strengthening their policies and making changes. Another ask, um, which I think is, is critical, is asking companies to do pay equity assessments. So earlier in the conversation, we talked a bit, you know, about parity in the workplace, but there's still, um, you know, an issue around equal pay. Um, I think it was in March, it was Women's Equal Pay Day. That's how long it took to catch up to a man's paycheck that, for 2020. Um, and so we asked companies to do a full assessment of their workforce, um, you know, be transparent around that data, fix it, and make a commitment to, to close those gaps on an ongoing basis. And so we've had many, many companies agree to do it. Um, and there's more and more pressure coming from other institutional investors like ourselves and in turn, it's something that I hear consistently from clients that like you work with that say, this is enough. I, I want to see change happen, you know, help make my dollar do more. And that's why these, these conversations are critical. And I think we had company, you know, company dialogue with 252 companies last year or more. So it's a critical part of our work, being activists on behalf of advisors like yourself and your team and your clients. You know, it's um, I'm sort of switching gears on you a little bit, but as we were talking, something came to mind that I know you and I talked about on the podcast at one point in time, and that was that when it comes to whether it's ESG or gender diversity or, or uh, equal pay, that there's a perception that investing in these types of companies or these types of funds actually doesn't, they don't perform as well. Can you speak about the myth of, of underperformance at all? I think for years, um, there was a challenge. So, I mean, we've been doing this in the U.S. and the PAX World Fund since 1971, one of the original funds. And that's really when it was called socially responsible investing. SRI is typically what you hear. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of negative screening. So that's basically saying, I don't want to invest in, you know, these 19 companies or industries. And, you know, using this negative screen was eliminating just massive, massive amounts of companies and industries. And so it was difficult for managers to get true diversity. Um, and when you don't have, you know, a diversified portfolio, performance can be challenging. So that was sort of the old way. The way we look at now is using ESG. It's really best in class. Who are the companies that are doing the best work around these issues? And so what you've seen is there isn't really, there's not the underperformance. There's multiple studies um, recently that have shown that, ESG type funds have actually weathered, you know, this volatile market during the pandemic across multiple asset classes better than their non-ESG peers. And you can look at the longer time horizon and see that as well. One of the biggest reasons for this that's been cited repeatedly is risk mitigation. 
Mm-hmm. So even if you don't care about like aligning your money with your values or any of that or supporting companies that are doing these specific things, I, I can't think of anyone that wants that doesn't want to reduce the risk in their portfolio. And so having this additional lens to evaluate where there is risk inherent because a company hasn't even thought about this in their business planning has benefited ESG strategies typically. Um, and so... Yeah, that's no longer the case, but you do sometimes still hear it come up. But now just Google anything by uh, Morningstar and you can see that data in the research. Well, I want to dig into that just for just a bit of a a moment, because um, I just I want to make sure people understand that when when you're talking about looking at it from like either you know, looking from the environmental, the governance and the social side or, or government and or environmental, social and government side, right? The, the idea um, that you mentioned about negative investing, one of the things that you're looking at now is the fact that maybe a company's not perfect yet. Like they're not, they're not there yet, but they have a plan to get there. And because they have a plan to get there, they would then qualify to fall into a fund like this because they they are doing some things that would enhance their standing um, qualifying for this. So, for example, I know that um, sometimes a company maybe doesn't have parity on the board yet, but they have a plan to get parity on the board. They're actively seeking it. It's within their policy or they're doing the research on pay equity to try to figure out, like, we actually know that it's an, it's not equitable and we're going to do something about it. You know, so that would then include them instead of excluding them because they're not there. Is that a good uh, definition? Would you agree with the way that I just explained that? It's an excellent definition. So if you look across our strategies, again, we're looking at companies that have made steps you know, forward. Like you said, they have a plan in place. Perhaps they've done a pay equity assessment internally with their HR team. They've identified some challenges. Now they're moving forward to get an independent third party to do a more in-depth analysis. These aren't things that happen overnight. It takes a time to, to get it up and running and, and go through the process. Um, so when a company does and when a company is transparent with us about their their plans, you're right. That company may very well be included. We do um, not invest in any companies involved with um, tobacco, firearms, or fast fossil fuels. So those are the three areas we won't invest in for multiple reasons. Um, But other than that, you're right. We're looking at companies, like you said, that are making some positive steps forward and and have shown their commitment. And we we stay on top of that to make sure they are carrying through. And that's all part of our ongoing company dialogue. So, you know, big, big question or whatever, however you want to phrase it. How does an individual get involved? Well, how does an individual get involved? Um, I guess. There's so many different ways an individual can get involved. But when we talk about investing this way, I, I think it's working with someone like yourself and your team and and taking some time to say, you know, individually, these are the issues that I care about. Maybe I've given charitably or I've volunteered. Um, 
for these organizations. You know, this is something that keeps me up at night. This is something I'm passionate about. Or as a family, um, this is a great way to kind of bridge the conversation to that next gen, like I was talking about, whether it's a millennial or, um, you know, a Gen Z or whatever it may be, is talk as a family. What, what are our family values? I mean, we're all kind of still stuck in various places. And I talked to um, so many individuals that said, you know, I, I had family meetings that we never had before and more in-depth conversations than, you know, we have across a Thanksgiving dinner table when tensions can be high. And so that's a time to really, you know, maybe even talk to your family members and say, you know, what are what are the things you care about? And then um, look to someone with your expertise and say, you know, help me implement this. How do I pull this into my portfolio and still reach my retirement goals? I still want to retire at 65 and head on down to Sanibel Island, or I want to make sure my lake house is paid off and whatever those goals may be. So it's, you know, trying to incorporate this, you know, into the investment policy statement and working with you to evaluate where that fits in. And then obviously, if you care about these issues, there's so many different ways personally, you can make change happen. And that's just evaluating where you spend your dollars, like where you grocery shop, where you bank, the credit card you use, you know, the choices that you are making every day. And I think, I know for myself and for many people, as we looked at the pandemic, I I mean, I looked at these local restaurants and I said, you know, I know how hard these individuals work and and the owners are working. And those are the ones, you know, I tended to support because I just valued their business model um, and the way that they've been treating their community. I mean, some of these organizations have supported the nonprofits in this community for years. And of course, that's where, you know, I I was going to do takeout from or support. But it could be every part of your life. Mm-hmm. Where do people find information about companies to know, you know, so let's say that I, you know, I'm, I don't know anything about this, but I, but I'm passionate about it. Like, you know, just as an example, where would I go to find out if a company supports some of those values, their websites? I mean, where, you know, where do you find that information out? Sure. So most companies have a sustainability page, right? They'll tell you about their sustainability products. So what you don't want to see on that page is just general, you know, general mm-hmm. comments. You actually want to see data. So, um, you know, you could look up Starbucks, you could look up Microsoft and they'll and put in pay equity. And most of those companies will show you how each, you know, they've broken down by gender and race, how everyone gets paid. So you can say, okay, they, they're sharing it. They're transparent. And, you know, they obviously have made a commitment to making sure that this, they have parity in their workforce. So it's just looking at companies through that lens. It can be challenging. There's no... There's no, you know, there's no consistency, right? A company can kind of come out and say whatever they want. And so it's it's just taking the time. And just like any other decision you'd want to make, it, you know, look for data. That's going to help you. Um, and then I know, Amy, you've got some resources as well at your fingertips where you're available to, you know, you can evaluate individual companies. Um, hopefully down the road, we'll have more transparency and companies will have to almost do an ESG reporting um, that's consistent across the board. And so investors will be able to plug in and say, this is my rating. This is where they stand. These are their plans, but we're not there yet. 
Actually, Morningstar now, if you go out to even the free website, Morningstar now has a sort of ESG rating that they give each of the um, each of the mutual fund uh, and, and exchange traded funds. And I, I think some of the stock funds too, um, or stocks uh, as well, they actually do rate some of that. And that's not even on the paid version. So that's something that, you know, it's starting to become that a lot of people don't know that that's out there, but it's starting to become more available, more readily available. Uh, in in the investing community as a general rule. Um, I know that we have a couple people uh, from the team as well as possibly somebody who joined in. Does anybody have any questions that they'd like to ask Jennifer that, um, you know, has been on your mind? And okay, you have, you have two young children, one of them being uh, a girl and probably more aware of, of what's going on um, with gender related issues, maybe, but maybe both your kids do. I should not, I should never assume they both, they both, both might be. I just know that most of the little boys I know, they're sort of narrowly focused on what's going on in their own bubble. Um, any questions or, um, any questions or, you know, thoughts that you have that you'd like to ask Jennifer? Yeah. And I, my young lady is, little noisily behind me. So if it's background noise, I apologize. Um, one of my questions, well, actually a couple of them you answered. One was to the, to the risk and stability and you answered that. Excellent. Thank you. Um, one of my questions is for people that have like a value they're after. What are some good resources for them? Example, um, I had someone that was very like palm oil. It was just on their mind, on their heart. They wanted to avoid it in their investments. Or again, if it's a gender equality, like resources to start searching for companies beyond just finding a like a fund and doing the research. Is there any tools they could use or um so, so Morningstar is great because they have the globes. So they do the five globes, four globes. Um, so I would encourage that. There's also um a website called As You Sew. I don't know if Amy, you've ever used that, but it's as you and it's S-O-W. And that will go in and kind of pull up some key issues. So what, you know, whatever it may be, exposure to private prisons, or as you said, palm oil, I'm not sure if it pulls that out, but it, that is a big one. Um, so that would be um, something to check out as well. Again, it's not easily accessible to get that information. That's, you know, where we think we add tremendous value because we've been doing this for so long. We have the capacity to have ongoing conversations. We have the dedicated team of analysts that are focused on this work every single day. Um, but as you so, it would be something I would check out. And again, back to Morningstar that they, on the free site, they have a lot of data that they share as well. Really do. You know, Jennifer, um, Becky, or anybody else, do you have any other questions before I, I ask a, another question? No. So one thing that, that recently came up in conversation with a client was she's looking to invest in companies that support the, the flexibility of um, working from home and, and not just related to women, but just in general, because if men and women are allowed to have some flexibility in their work day, then that doesn't put all, all that pressure on mom, right? So mm -hmm. things have changed over time. We see more dads that stay home and take care of the kids than we ever used to, but still this pandemic hugely impacted women that that's not even negotiable. Like that's, there's numbers out there that actually show that. 
But if men had been able to be more flexible at work as well, then the the impact wouldn't have been as grand on women potentially. Um, so that's been something that you know there is that's been a, a topic that came up is that level of flexibility that companies are allowing or not allowing. Is that something that you've heard a lot over the last year as well? It's definitely something we've heard a lot about. And right, you're talking about the impact of the pandemic on women. There's been so many articles. I think the latest said it's set gender equality back a decade because the burden of care has has and still has really fallen on women. And we saw that in September with the start of school. And those of us who have um, children at home can experience it as well. But I think it's... Um, taught companies a lot of things um, about how to interact with their employees. And it goes back to the S, you know, the social factor, which is human capital management. How are you treating your employees? Um, How are you retaining employees? How are you attracting employees? And I think we all see that we want some flexibility and every research study out there shows again and again, employees want flexibility in their work environment. It's going to be very important for them going forward. And so to us, companies that address this and are factoring it in are going to be more resilient long-term, be able to again, retain their workforce to track high quality candidates. so what you've seen, um, I guess a couple companies in the technology field that I've um, I've seen, you know, because we've asked companies, how are you addressing this? You know, what are you doing to support your employees during this time, whether it's mental health services, whether it's flexibility, which is a key one. And you saw certain companies step up and say, okay, we're just going to create flex hours. You just take time, you know, maybe it's three hours you know, every day for three days a week where you go and focus on whether it's a Zoom classroom or caring for a parent or whatever it may be, you do that. That's not sick time. That's not vacation time. And the expectation from management is this is okay. And that's really important because as you know, you can have a great maternity and paternity leave policy, for example, but if the culture of the organization is like, yeah, you've got three months, but nobody takes it. That's not really a policy. And so the culture around flexibility has to come from the top. And it all about, you know, it's leading with empathy. And so some of these companies have just been really progressive and thoughtful. And they did it early on because they just saw the strain. I mean, you know, for women, uh, the numbers, but I think it's everyone, you know, the, the amount of stress um, and burnout are, are really high. I mean, McKenzie did that report women at work in the fall and, you know, it's just numbers were startling. So companies have to address this and many of them have. The ones that haven't, I, I, I'd be concerned about longer term. I mean, obviously there needs to be some give and take, so it can't be completely, um, you know, you can stay home every single day, but it has to be something that works within the framework of the organization's culture that does listen to employees' need for flexibility as they balance life. Yeah. Well, I think um, several of our team members were directly impacted and can relate to that comment. <laughs> Hopefully they felt like they had a lot of flexibility from our cultural perspective. But Jennifer, we want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule today and sharing this knowledge. Uh, we've just had so many people bring this up to our attention. And, and, you know, we continue to do our due diligence and our research and continue to want to 
invest our dollars in a way that, you know, is true to our hearts and our, our desires. So we want to say thank you for sharing and educating people around what is ESG, what is engaging in gender equity, and, and what it means to, you know, the, the, the corporate culture, uh, the importance of it. And, and I think, you know, most of all, really explaining that although it maybe used to be that these funds weren't able to to keep up with performance, that that truly has changed, that that's not necessarily true anymore. So thank you so much. And is, is there anything else that you would love to share with the audience today? Is there something that you really hoped that would come up in a question or that you'd love to share? I think I'd just like to share. I, I can't think there's there's a more critical time in this world to step up and act, right? Um, there's so much that's been going on. Like we talked about climate change, we talked about the pandemic and what that's highlighted. And then we talk about the social injustice that we've seen. And so, you know, continue to do everything you can to, to support these causes. But I would definitely start to analyze your investments um, and take a closer look because you know, again, you're not sacrificing market returns to make a significant difference. If we come at this at all angles, that's the only way we're going to see change happen. We have to do it together. And, you know, we have moved the needle, especially on key issues around climate change, but we've got a lot more work to do. Yeah. Well, you know, when you don't spend your money on something because you don't feel good about it and other people don't either, that makes companies look, take a look, right? They It does. They start to slide, they start to look. Yes. So. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much, Jennifer. We really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you. It was great to join all of you. Have a nice afternoon and evening. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedpg for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.